This is Colonia Cast, episode 34. Today we are joined by Rusty Reed, the Turtle Man. Rusty is a CNC programmer uh, by trade, uh, but very passionate about alligator snapping turtles and turtles. Uh, he's done an incredible amount of work uh, with alligator snapping turtles in particular, uh, and he's here to tell us about some of his many stories working with these animals, and um, uh, we're really excited to have him on today. So thanks for joining us. You bet, man. I'm really glad you asked me. All right, Rusty, I'm going to hit you with the... Uh, what What got you into alligator snapping turtles? Like, where did your passion for turtles begin? Like... Well, you know, um, one day I, I've been asked that a lot, right? When you when you get to be my age and you're looking backwards and you've got so many years uh, behind you doing this, uh, you ask yourself, where did this come from? You know, um, where did this? Why do I have this? I don't even. I, I, it's a God given desire for as far as I'm concerned that goes clear back to that kid in the picture. So you can see in August of 1967, I found this picture one day and it kind of answered to me why. I don't know why, but it's always been there. So in 1967, there I am, a little boy with a bucket full of turtles. And that passion was in me as far back as I can remember. And I don't need to know why I have that passion. I think a lot of people are given God given uh, passions uh, and I don't need to analyze why I can't really define that. I know there's a lot of people into a lot of different things. And that, that's one of the things I recently said uh, when I had a, the mic at the move to preserve was people that are passionate about being passionate. Those are the people I like to be around. I guess I'm one of those people. And it was turtles. That's uh, I mean, that that's a great way to start us off. And that was I was there for that uh, speech. And that was great. I mean, that was that was an emotional thing and it was cool to see everyone come together. And that, that's kind of how we all met uh, was at this move to preserve event. I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, have, have been seeing the the posts and such from this and Rusty put that on and that, that must've been quite an undertaking trying to get all of that logistically figured out. What, what was the process for that? I mean, that uh, for the getting the move to preserve uh, and maybe just, give people a background of how that happened and, and kind of what the situation there was. Well, if we're going to, we'll talk about move to preserve since it's like the last thing I've done that was really big on turtles because it was only you know, three weeks in the past, right? At this point, uh, three weeks, you say, I, I think it was like yesterday because it's still ingrained in me so yeah. deeply. But um, two years ago, two years prior to move to preserve, I had been invited to meet, Anthony Hobb in person, go down, help him dig eggs. And we started discussing some of the problems that were with the turtle farm that he had recently inherited. And the one thing I saw was an overabundance of hundred pound alligator snapping turtles in these captive ponds. Um, you know, the uh, each year he would be uh, incubating three to four thousand eggs. So there was a, a high volume of turtles in a, in a captive bred pond where they had been gathering and incubating these eggs for the past 35 years. Well, there was a kill off annually. Large males would come to the surface wounded, infected, badly bitten up and die. And it just killed Anthony to see this every year, uh, a large male or three. Uh, float up and die annually. And I always question how many, and, and we'll never know this answer, I suppose. I'm, I'm going to hit you guys with this uh, eventually to, to speculate, but how many 
135 pound alligator snapping turtles are left in the world period we don't know that answer but i don't think that number's all that high so to hear that there's several of them in a captive situation uh where they're killing each other and you're losing three or four per year something needs done and anthony hobb at south arkansas turtle farm felt the same way so when i was down there i mean the only thing you can do is pump this pond dry it's one acre uh, eight feet deep possibly at the deepest and start getting these hundred pound turtles out of there now this isn't going to be easy uh, we know what a pond's like when you pump it out um, and that's when it began so it was two years prior and i spent the next two years planning it and and basically speculating who would be perfect for that job because it, it doesn't just need strong people and it didn't just need people that were into turtles it needed people that were strong and passionate. Now, I didn't know you two. You were perfect for the job. So so you were guided in there by uh, Greg Brashear um, perfectly. And uh, we were really glad. I'm really glad that I got to meet all of you. But uh, so I started forming a team in my mind who would be perfect to gather for this. Yeah, that was a, it was a really awesome event. And I, I, personally didn't even really know anything about it until a few days before I hit up Greg and kind of got involved last minute. So that was a really cool thing to be a part of. And yeah, it felt like a family sort of even after a short period of time. Uh, but it's sort of a great cause and and it was really cool to come together. Um, I guess we can sort of, yeah, that, that move to preserve and you can find us. There's a lot of content for sure online about that, but there's a lot more that you've done that uh, maybe others don't know as much about. So we definitely want to highlight that. Um, and we can, we, can, we can circle back to that move to preserve too. Oh, for sure. I think we'll kind of be hitting on that, you know, as we go. Yep. Um, maybe we can start with uh, your, the, the refuge that you started, the Blackwater Turtle Refuge. Maybe more about the history of kind of how that initiative started. Sure. So Jack had asked me, you know, why alligator snapping turtles or how, and I went clear back to turtles have just been a fascination with me since I was a little boy. And in fact, with that bucket full of turtles on that property was a, a 200 acre swamp that my grandparents had owned, a wetlands area. It wasn't all swamp. There was an orchard on it and a small farm. And on that was some of the, it's still to this day, a really beautiful wetland area. And we're here in Northern Indiana. So when we were out chasing things. I, I always liked snakes and reptiles and, and, uh, they, the, my parent, my dad and, um, a neighbor were trapping common snapping turtles for food to eat. And so they were bringing home these Indiana alligators, right? They, to me, they were a vicious reptile and just fascinated with common snapping turtles growing up. And, uh, over the years, it grew into, alligator snapping turtles. I mean, I was fascinated with them. I was interested in them, but didn't have any of them. And I went through a period in my life uh, uh, 38 years ago when I was uh, downsizing to make life simple. I was selling off a, a collection of giant snakes I had acquired over the years. So the story kind of uh, evolves clear back to when I was a youth and I went down to Florida and lived uh, homeless, um, 
for a while. And then when I worked my way north, I had connections left behind in Florida for the snake industry. Right. And I, so I built this collection up of giant uh, snakes and different monitors and things. And when I lived, uh, moved here to Cherubusco, I had a room in the house dedicated to reptiles. It was 85 degrees in there and full of different pens of uh, anacondas and Burmese pythons and things. And, and uh, then um, it took a turn. I bought a, I'm, I'm here on a farm. We have seven acres. We have our own cows. And I had a donkey. I bought a wild burrow from Arizona. And uh, I thought, well, what do you do with a donkey, right? Um, well, they're pack animals. So I trained him and put a pack harness on him and walked from Cherubusco, Indiana to the Mackinac Bridge, which was 400 miles. I took a hike. I took a 16 day hike, uh, 400 miles in 16 days, walking down the highway with a wild burrow with a pack harness on him. He carried all my camping gear. During that walk, yeah, yeah, pretty cool stuff, and and yeah. it was in every paper in Michigan, and and it was a, another neat experience in my life. People were taking me in to their homes at night, um, stay in my house, take a shower, you know, eat supper here, and uh, to to make things easier, I started taking that stuff after about the third or fourth day because it was kind of long days. I mean, I was walking 12, 14 hour days, um, walking about three miles an hour, which is not that fast because that's all the faster that donkey would go. So during that walk, I was uh, going to come home, sell off all the giant reptiles and make life simpler. And I remember one of the guys that was buying one of these snakes said, why are you getting rid of everything in your collection? And I said, I, I just want to make life simple. I've always been fascinated with alligator snapping turtles. And I think it'd be neat to have like a four inch alligator snapping turtle. And he said, I know somebody that has one, which is like the only person in Indiana I've ever met still that had one. So back then there was no regulation on them in Indiana. And I buy an alligator snapping turtle and he, he sells me Peter Pritchard's book with the turtle. And he says, 50 more dollars, you can have this book. And on the cover is the hundred and I don't know how big it is. I think 150 pound alligator snapping turtle on the cover of Peter Pritchard's book. And I thought, well, right there's what I really want. And there it started and life did not get simpler. That's uh, yeah, that, that is incredible. And I, I didn't realize the the walk that's, that's quite the uh, adventure. That's uh, that's a cool thing. Yeah, I should have threw a picture of that on there because he's pretty neat looking. Um, there was pictures of me and Harry standing with the Mackinac Bridge in the background, and we had made it. Another emotional moment. You walk uh, every day for, it was 16 days, um, with the donkey, and you go through everything that his personality has to offer over 16 days, all the ups and downs, the rain, the heat, the sunshine, you know, and uh, it, it was a you know, another life changing event for me. I mean, it, it's uh, when you spend that much time alone every day with a donkey, um, you, you, you do a lot of thinking and uh, it changes you. All these all these adventures really uh, drive who you are. And, and, and I, I knew that. And it, the only thing you got uh, when you're old are the memories you made when you were young or the memories you make on a daily basis and adventure is a state of mind. It's not what you're doing. It's how you view what you're doing. I think I might've said that during one of my speeches that moved to preserve because I really believe that at different times I've been doing nothing more than walking my little daughter through a small town grocery store, but that can be an adventure. It's in your mind. It's, it's your state of mind. It's how you look at what you're doing. Um, 
you know, moving those turtles where you were standing up to your crotch in mud. Uh, how much adventure was there in that? But it was because it was a state of mind. It was it was an awesome thing we were doing. So uh, I took that adventure with that donkey. Right. And then and during that is when I decided to make life simple. But it didn't. I, I'm incapable of making life simple. So the 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 you were telling us a bit about the logo too for Blackwater Turtle Refuge. We pulled it up here. That's right. Okay. So along with the the, the little turtle I got came the book. Um, in the book, I start reading, and I read the you know I've read that book over and over and over. Peter Pritchard's uh, Alligator Snapping Turtle Biology and Conservation. I'm sure you have too. And in it are all these different people that Peter Pritchard interviewed. So I decide that I need to own a giant alligator snapping. Oh, there's another twist to this story. I live in Turtle Town, USA. No thanks to me. Did, did you guys know that? There's a, there's another podcast on this we should do. Um, Turtle Town, USA, Cherubusco, Indiana. When you drive into my town, there's a picture of a turtle on the town's, uh, the town's logo is a turtle. And in 1949, um, it was a Sasquatch in a shell, they've called it before. Beast of Busco? Beast of Busco. Yeah. I was gonna... <laughs> and I live that's, here. That's funny. No, it's just fate. It's just fate. I did not get into turtles because of that. For years, I wouldn't even do uh, interviews or anything because I didn't want to be part of that. And then later on, eventually, I embraced the town legend. And now I, I have to keep some information on that in my head. Uh, the 1949 story. The, then they still have Turtle Days Festival every year. So um, I wasn't doing anything to touch it. Uh, the town legend, I am chasing people in that book. And to chase people in that book, you guys uh, might have a hard time understanding this. There was no Internet. Uh, there wasn't an Internet. So this is 30, 38 years ago. I'm chasing people in a book and there's no Internet. So you do that with the telephone, phone books. Um, their phone numbers might be unlisted. You do that by calling uh, you know, bait stores in Georgia and taxidermy shops in Louisiana. And, and you're looking for people that are in this book. And I eventually, I found a couple of them, but the most interesting one that jumped out at me was I was when Al Redmond answered the phone. And I said, um, I'm Rusty Reed. Uh, I live in Cherubusco, Indiana. And I'm looking to put together a breeding trio of alligator snapping turtles. And he said, you ain't from around here, are you? Because I got that accent, he said. And, and uh, it started a relationship that went on for the next, you know, 10 years. Uh, I spent many hours with Al and the family. So uh, soon after that was a trip to Al Redmond's to learn from him about alligator snapping turtles, to go out and do a little bit of trapping. Now, alligator snapping turtles weren't allowed to be trapped at that time, so we were trapping commons, and he was just taking me out to show me the ropes, and we were turning things loose. Uh, he was just showing this Yankee a good time. He always called me a Yankee, you know, and uh, they took me out in the swamps and introduced me to the, to the swamps of southern Georgia, and eventually I bought some alligator snapping turtles from him and brought them home and started to seek out because this is turtle town usa um some local sponsorship from local businesses and that was easier to solicit if i had a name so i decided i did an interview in the paper uh, a guy named john gutowski 
was writing a book. It was his dissertation, I think, for his master's degree in anthropology. So he was doing an anthropological study on a community and what having a legend does to the community. And that led him to this hippie, me, uh, that lives in the outskirts of town. Yeah, I didn't. I used to have long hair and uh, look like a wild man with a mustache that hung down below my chin. And there's pictures of that we'll see here in a little bit. But um, he he come he finds his way to me, and along with him he brings a reporter. And I wasn't. I had a 135 pound turtle that I had named Oscar, and I had purchased him out of the south two years earlier, I believe and never did any interviews or anything and didn't intend to do an interview now. But John Gutowski was writing a book. He came here to talk to me, but he brought a photographer with him. They took a picture. It went out AP network and the story flew global. I, I had papers from Guam. People mailed me with the picture of me holding up that turtle because I live in Turtletown, USA and Rusty Reed. I'm standing there barefoot with a foot and a half of hair holding this turtle. And I decide at that point, I think the town sent their local reporter and it starts to gain momentum like in one week's time. And I decide, well, we need to make a buck with this. We'll go up to Turtle Days and set up a show. Um, so I throw uh, some T-shirts together and had them printed and they actually said black water under them, Turtle Refuge, and just block letters. I had them printed in like two hours. I called and said, can you get me shirts in two hours? And it said staff under it. I, I got these guys living here with me. They're helping me take care of the turtles. We're having a good time. I throw shirts on all of them. We went uptown to the turtle race and took my an 80 pound alligator snapping turtle and told them next year, we're gonna show you a turtle that weighs 135 pounds and we're gonna set up a display. And I'm thinking this up as I speak. And I'm in front of like 500 people doing my first public speaking. Um, and that's where the name started like one hour before it was on a shirt two hours before it was in front of people then i'm in the paper as i'm going to do an exhibit and some guy pulls up out front and then backs up again and pulls in the driveway and he's real big and he comes walking down the sidewalk and he's looking suspicious and we're kind of paranoid you know there's a bunch of us living there's a lot going on and he comes up he knocks on the door and he says, uh, hi, my name's Greg Jackson. I'm with the IRS. And I said, well, I'm not worried. I don't know anything about taxes, right? If he'd said ATF <laughs> or something, you know, ENR, um, whatever. Um, so he, he goes, I'm just kidding you. I'm a graphic artist. I'd like to photograph your turtle. And I said, hey, I need some artwork. And he hears my story. He says, well, you need a logo. And him and I built a relationship that went on for, for 20 years, he drew up the logo. And about two weeks later, I got a pretty good looking logo out of it. In fact, we hung Oscar from a strap and he used the photograph somehow to create that logo. And there's a photograph in here somewhere where Garden Like a Viking is seven years old, standing next to Oscar hanging from the strap. And that's when that picture was taken that created that logo. And Greg Jackson did all that for me for nothing. Uh, he was just helpful. And he did a lot of my graphic artwork over the years. And he's since passed away. So right there is Garden Like a Viking. And we had it, suspended. That's, yeah, that's Garden Like a Viking. 
That's uh, and for folks that don't know uh, who that is from Move to Preserve, he was doing a lot of the for uh, videography, but he's also got his own YouTube channel. You could speak more to that, Rusty. I uh, just to plug. Uh, yeah, I mean, Garden go to YouTube channel Garden Like a Viking if you want to learn how to grow a lot of different food and be self sufficient. Um, he's been real successful on YouTube, uh, teaching people how to to garden like a Viking. I'm not sure where the Vi where like a Viking comes in. I'll have to ask him that. But Nate spent his formative years. I I've known Nate's uh, um, garden like a Viking since he was born. I went to school with his dad and uh, him and him and uh, my myself and his dad have known each other since the seventh grade when we were just, you know, I don't know how old we are then, like 14 or 12 or something. And, and, uh, so when he grew up and he had a kid, it was garden like a Viking and he was bringing them around on the weekends. And it was during uh, garden like a Viking's formative years. And I had at one point like five guys living here at this farmhouse while we were um, chasing these turtles around, terrorizing the town with them. Right. We're we're doing shows up at Turtle Days. We're in the paper. We're on TV. We're and I was always really lucky to be able to I it was like joining the Boy Scouts or something being being everybody wanted to wear a Blackwater t-shirt that said staff on the back and when you were wearing a Blackwater t-shirt that said staff you had to you got to mow my lawn and you got to help uh, cut up carp and change water on turtles and pick turtles up and be on the news and and it was uh, and these these people wanted to be part of this. It was really neat. Uh, we all were like family at that point. And Nate, he was here during those formative years. Well, as soon as he grew up, listening to me talk about adventures, a state of mind, and um, you only live once and you build the memories. Well, he graduates high school and takes off walking across to India. He spent 10 years of his life roaming the world. Uh, and his mom probably could have hung me for that stuff, but uh, he's had a great life and he, he's been out uh, experiencing different things for, for decades. And now he's guarding like a Viking, but he said right there, somebody said, get up next to that turtle. And he was terrified. And we took his picture and it became the logo and Greg Jackson turned it into the logo and, and see these people are, they stay in your life. Uh, it's, it's pretty neat to have that opportunity. And it's all because of turtles. Right. The connections are uh, a really incredible part, as you've pointed out. And even for, I mean, we, we've been interested in it a while, but nowhere near the time that you spent with it and starting to notice just move to preserve is a great example. I mean, you build these connections with people and for us, those will be people that we're friends with going forward for a long time. So that's uh that's a really good point. But in talking about the people, uh, one of the most interesting people is our Al Redmond. Uh, but for people that don't know who Al Redmond is, maybe you can just kind of give us the rundown there and why he was specifically someone that you sought out from uh, Dr. Pritchard's work and, and sort of what, what was what was going on there? Well, you know, um, we can probably go to some uh, a picture of Al Redmond. But when when I first met Al Redmond, I mean, I met him on the phone. And one of the first things you had to tell Al was who you weren't, you know, who you're not with, because uh, they'd been through the ringer legally over the years. I, I mean, Al Redmond in the book 
and under his own admission, that's him there. He's holding an alligator snapping turtle. That's little Al. There was about four Al's, I think. They, Al, Al, and little Al, and maybe even littler Al. I, I don't remember. There, there might have been just three of them. Uh, but see, they're all putting them T-shirts on. Boy, I put them T-shirts out. And that's uh, that's little Al Redmond. That's a, a grandson holding an alligator snapping turtle. The whole family took me in. Uh, it was really neat. So I meet Al on the phone. I, I go down there to meet him. And the reason that I thought he would be the best to, to meet, for one thing, is uh, he had trapped alligator snapping turtles commercially and held more out-of-state trapping, trapping licenses as a commercial trapper than anyone else on record. So he was smart like a fox, I guess you, you would say. There he is holding a baby alligator. He had, he had an alligator farm too. Um, he raised alligators and we used to play with them and he would teach me ways to not get hurt and, and get close to getting hurt, I guess. Um, so he trapped more states and, and according to the book and according to himself, I think he said he had commercial trapping licenses to trap and slaughter the alligator snapping turtle in eight different states of their range. And he did it very well. He did it commercially. I mean, there's, he had paid employees, uh, barges out in the main biggest part of the rivers and reservoirs that had electric hoists on them for offloading traps full of turtles and John boats that were baited with fresh traps and employees that could motor way up into the tributaries and trap them commercially. Uh, he would lay out, he showed me his maps, uh, a grid of an area and systematically trap from as far up as he could go with boats and work his way down into the main reservoirs and main rivers and then move on out of that river system. And he says, that the alligator snapping turtle was in serious trouble and it's all my fault. Uh, that was his words and that he wished he could do something to turn it back. And I think the lure of money um, probably drove him, you know, to, to push that far. Um, and besides, he said he was catching them, you know, two to 3000 pounds of them a day and, and slaughtering them, selling them for their meat. And then it just ended. He just wiped them out that fast. Um, they were trapping them at high numbers one minute and not catching any of the next. Or and they were throwing the small ones back at first, which were the uh, you know the the active breeders, and that, those are probably the ones you're you're weighing now in your studies. You know, I I think they've come back decently, but there was no probably not any real studies done 40 years ago as to their populations when this all started. So he had wiped them out, but he stockpiled them in his private ponds. And he had ponds full of alligator snapping turtles and was willing to sell them. And he also, it came at a time when he needed money. So my timing on all this was like perfect for me. And then I ended up buying, and he, I ended up buying the last of his giants and pretty well bought all his collection. But um, he told me to go off and do right with these. And we had had some emotional conversations where he knew what my goal was, and it is to educate people. 
And I believe if you're going to keep these things in captivity and you're going to hold them, you're going to harbor them, you're going to take care of them, um, they're noble animals. You owe it to them to give them the absolute best conditions that you can give them in captivity to replicate as close as you can to how they would live in the wild. Um, and I work towards that every day of, of working towards that better and also um, to continuously maintain that level of care and to educate people about them. And, you know, it's a line I use a lot, but it's not a line. I think by educating people about them, you show them, you use the moment that their jaw is dropped. When they see Jack holding that 142 pounder up, use that moment to teach them about the alligator snapping turtle. And they're listening. They're, they're quiet while they're looking at this, while they're seeing something they've never seen before. Their minds are open. Their hearts are open. And you give them uh, teaching. You teach them about this alligator snapping turtle that lived here in the United States that, that was secretive, that almost nobody really hardly knew existed outside of its range at one point. Now, we're, we're making them more popular, right? But uh, you use that moment. And then you change the hearts of man. Uh, and, and you create hearts of conservation because laws don't protect them as much as getting people to protect them, each individual person to protect them themselves. That's where true protection comes from. And I learned some of that from Al. I oh, the gift of gab. That was his way of putting it. Right. And, uh, and John Gutowski, I'll take back to that when he wrote the book, uh, about Rusty Reed, which wasn't Rusty Reed, the turtle man at the time, it was Rusty Reed. And, uh, one of the things he said about me, and I had to look it up, he said, Rusty Reed realizes that to make this thing work, to make Blackwater Turtle Refuge work, he will, I'll see if I get this right, he'll have to uh, use broad world artifice with small town social skills, uh, that I realize that, that I need to use broad world artifice with small town social skills to make this work. And crazy, a bit crazy, yeah. Um, he's an individualist with cultivated eccentricities. And I had to think through that a little bit. I like that. It means I'm nuts and I want to be. It's cultivated. Yeah. yeah. And I learned that from Al. I, I learned that about Al. See, it wasn't just about alligator snapping turtles with Al Redmond. The dude and me had conversations uh, that ran deeper than that. If people don't like you, you're not going to go very far in life. Uh, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not a likable person, you need to share your information. I learned that from Al. Everybody needs to share everything they know. And then we all get smarter. We all grow together. This is stuff that came from that guy in that picture. Um, everybody exchanges information with each other. We all get smarter. We all get smarter. Things get better. Pretty interesting for a swamp rat trapper like him. Redneck Georgia boy, I think is what he'd rather be called. It's uh. It's fascinating that there's so many things that you sort of extracted from the encounter, from the the relationship that you guys developed that uh, that are employed even in your life now, and that that's uh, it's really cool. And for us listening from a very different perspective, uh, it's it's definitely something that uh, we're going to internalize and think about that as we kind of progress uh, through our lives and. Uh, I guess, yeah, take what you can. There's a lot of people that would probably label 
uh, be pretty quick to label someone just depending on on kind of what the group they belong in. But you're missing a lot of the nuances and some of the the positives that you might be able to extract from certain situations like that. Uh, that that's really an interesting thing. So, and something that's interesting to me about uh, Al and reading Pritchard's account uh, of him. Is, it seemed like, and you kind of touched on this, he was a trapper, but then there was sort of a, he eclipsed a little bit later on and kind of, it almost seemed like the way uh, Dr. Pritchard kind of painted it in the book, that he became more aware of the conservation situation of the snapping turtles and then wanted to sort of give back and was releasing more animals that he was producing. And what what sort of, do you know what caused that change or was it, a what what was that about sort of? When he started, when he continued to trap them and never caught them, when he was cat, when he was trapping them and couldn't catch them anymore, he was good at what he did. They're not there, and 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 you know who knows what flipped the light bulb, but it did, and I'm convinced that that was genuine. You know, and he said he he would. I had deep conversations with him on that. There's there's. Uh, no one could argue with me on that he had had a change of heart. Um, he actually stood in front of uh, the, I guess it's not DNR down there, but fish and wildlife probably, and said that the alligator snapping turtle population is in trouble and it's all my fault. And they hired him to do trapping studies at that point. They weren't protected at that point. So anything he did catch that was sizable or breeders he was building ponds with the money he had made from selling their meat he had bought land and he was digging ponds and he was putting alligator snapping turtles in in those ponds so and it was to breed and it was to breed and hatch them and hopefully to go into a, a relocation program but you know i don't know for sure he just just felt that they were wiped out and that it was his fault and he was trying to turn it back or do the best. He said it'll be hundreds of years before this is returned. I think it's been 50. And I think some big ones are out there, but we didn't have any numbers to go by 50, 60 years ago either. So how plentiful were they? He said they were plentiful. He said he could go out and catch dozens of hundred pound turtles in a day. I don't, how many of you guys typically catch where what it's a different river system that we're trapping in but yeah. uh, but we the best possible spot you're probably going to get like six to eight turtles in a day uh and maybe a bunch of big but uh nothing like just talking about in the in the flint river uh but yeah, ever since then, there's like barely any in there. I think in recent in recent years, the, on the lower Flint, there's only been like one 90 pound turtle. They've all been small, but his this his whole story is is really it's. I guess it's easy to just assume that there's endless resources in nature, and that you can't actually deplete something to a point that it can't uh, we no longer use it. Any turtles like you used to that must have been a serious wake up call and. Uh, I can see how that just led to that big change. Yeah, and your your point is covers so many species. Yeah, I mean you you see it all the time where people just think there's no end to it. I don't know why we think that, 
you know, yeah. you'll see. I, I don't, I can't think of a species to name right off the top, but um, you've seen it and you know what I'm talking about. That's why you said it, but uh, like, there's no end, there's no end. And then um, these were so easy for him to trap that the end came quick, I guess it, it came abruptly. I mean, he went in, he traps an area out, he does it systematically, he's good. He goes back three years later, doesn't catch anything. Well, they're gone. You didn't miss them. You didn't miss them, you took them. Yeah. Pretty sad. Yeah. Um, but it was sad for him, too. But I guess we all need to think about that with anything we're doing that with. And um, it was too late. And he said that it's too late. He told me that it's too late. He did. I do what I can. But then his time ran out. He got cancer. Eventually really did die. Yeah. But. Yeah. That's uh, it's uh, really an interesting story. And, and, and it's tough to find information on, on him and sort of his operation there. So it's really cool to be able to talk to, to you who had firsthand experience with him and, and a lot of hours with him uh, really kind of digging into his knowledge about turtles, but also kind of his personal philosophy. Maybe we can, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious some of the stuff that has uh, like you mentioned, I mean, and, and Dr. Pritchard mentions this a lot in his snapping turtle book, cause that was almost a, a study. I mean, he was going around interviewing all these people that were uh, like Al, but all over the country that were, catching snapping turtles and trying to extract that information from them um, and and sitting down and really getting to talk with them. And there's a lot of information these people have. Uh, they're not career scientists, but they have knowledge of these animals that no one else has. What were some of the things that, that you learned from sitting down with Al about snapping turtles that maybe you can't even find in books now? Probably everything that Al had at that point is now pretty well out there some of that may have came from him to tell you the truth but so so back then though there was nothing you know until pritchard did that book there wasn't even a solid geographical range nailed down um it was all broad information in this book or that book of where they have been found there wasn't a good solid map saying this is where they live al helped develop that map because of all his trapping because he had seen where all he could trap and catch these he had had taken his uh trapping out into so many states it helped actually define the geographical range amongst other people that pritchard would interview for that too but al he had his own maps i remember them he had a hunt lodge a lodge kind of like what we stayed at um but it was really nice. It was really neat looking. And there's pictures of that. We can, we can go to pictures. And in the lodge were uh, maps of the river systems and where he had trapped and the grids he had drawn with pencils and rulers to help lay out. Um, there's one of his ponds. Yeah, we can just buzz through there real quick till we find the, the yeah, lodge. We'll there's, a, there's a dog laying there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, oh, there's, there's a ponytail back there. It's, that's Al. Um, boy, these are old film. Uh, so the, the things that he learned, like what they feed on, he learned by cutting them open, right? He knew what was in their stomachs because he had cut open more stomachs than anybody at that point, he claimed. There's the lodge. So he had a lodge 
and he had bought land with turtle money. He used to say that America is a great country and, and you know, you got to weed out bragging with truth, maybe or not. Uh, America is a great country. He says, where else can you make a million dollars selling turtles and buy 10,000 acres of wet bottom cheap because it's not tillable and then make a living taking people out in it hunting deer. So he was doing that. And then in fact, that's how I found him because he was uh, a taxidermy. One of his sons was a taxidermist. And eventually I found a Redmond's taxidermist service in the phone book. And that's what led me to the Mossy Creek Wildlife Plantation. And that was the name of this place. And that lodge had a moat, all hand laid stone with water around the perimeter of that lodge with little alligators and stuff in that moat. And uh, I would stay in that lodge when I'd go down there to visit. And in the lodge were the different artifacts, skulls of large alligator snapping turtles and uh, shells and things that would be really neat. Oh, uh, flint arrowheads embedded into the shells and healed into the shells that he had cut around and exposed them. So there's some of that stuff is called out as false. It, I've seen it. it. There's there's shells that had flint arrowheads embedded into their shells and were boned in, healed in. And when he was butchering them, he would find them. He'd keep that shell and the artifact and carve it out so you could see where it fit back in there and take the, the cap off of it. And, and I got to see all that. All that burned. The lodge burned. And, and that's all part of the story. Um, um, eventually I went back down there, you know, with a, I always took people with me too. I always took, I, I got this group living here. We're a bunch of boy scouts that say Blackwater scouts instead. Right. And, and I'd throw three people in the truck and we would drive 18 hours to South Georgia, uh, to hang out with Al for one day and turn around and drive back. I'd been known to drive down there on Friday night after work and be back to work Monday morning. And it was an 18 hour drive. Uh, we would switch off driving. I'd sleep slumped over in a seat and we'd switch off and we'd get down there at seven o'clock Saturday morning, play with Al until Sunday morning, then drive back home and go to work. Uh, so the lodge had a lot of artifacts in it and it all got burned. It all burned up. And uh, that's part of his demise was back when everything was falling apart right then. And he got sick. There's a moat. Uh, that was to recreate a, a river system, a river pond. So that's a moat, and there's an island in the middle, and it was full of alligator snapping turtles, breeders. And he had a pump that would circulate it to create river flow, and it would go in a circle, and the turtles would always point upstream. It wasn't much of a flow, but it was a little flow that recreated a lazy river. He had really good, hard red clay dirt down there. What, what do you mean by the turtles would always point upstream in terms of where they were headed or what? Yeah, they were, they would point their heads into the current and the current was one direction. And they always, whenever I pulled one out of there, it was always pointed into the current. It would be up, you know, under the bank and that, but it would be pointed and you can see that water. That's when I, I didn't lose any fingers down there. Um, you, you had to prod around, you'd find them. Their head would always be pointed into the current. So, so what they ate, I learned from him by, and he learned by cutting them open and how long they can live. It's all guesswork. 
I, I noticed, Jack, somebody asked you, you know, how old is that turtle? The average rate of gain is a pound per year is what I've always been saying. And that's a lifespan average. We don't know. Um, but I do know that I have two 28-year-olds that weigh six, uh, 22 pounds now that I've had since they were hatchlings. And that's one of the things with my study that I would like to nail down. Of course, it'll always be arguable of captive life versus wildlife, but I try to recreate as, we'll, we'll get to my study later. But um, ages, um, you know, dating artifacts that they found in their shell. And, and I've also talked to some artifact people uh, that people out in the swamps were probably using flint to stab a turtle later in history than in other parts of the, the world, especially if it was something you might throw away. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying? That doesn't make it 400 years old. That might only make it 150 years old because people are still napping out their own Flint spears. If, you know, if they're going to take a chance on losing it stuff and they don't have Walmart, um, they're just going to make a little something to stab into a turtle out of stone and tie it onto a stick and go get a turtle. So uh, a lot of that people feel like they've debunked that they would have lived during the Flint era, but the Flint era may have lasted longer for this type of activity in some of these areas. And that, you know, was that was information from Al from his collection of artifacts. He raised alligators. Um, that was a, a, a big old mama gator protecting her nest. And she had a line drawn around the outside and he was showing me how she will not run past that line. And he made me tease her until she would run to that line and then stop again. You know, there was a bull out in that pond that was mean, though. He used to chase the lawnmower and stuff. These were tanks that when I was coming down, he would pull things out of the ponds. There's cement tanks all over the place. There were several of them that were holding tanks from back in the butcher day. So back then they didn't have plastic or tanks and, and probably somebody did, but, um, he still had all these uh, in the background. You can see another stone line pond. All his uh, ponds were dug uh, with backhoes and by hand and then lined with uh, mortar and field stone. And then they would go up above the ground level to, to make it so that things couldn't walk right into the pond. And all them ponds were full of turtles, different species of turtles too. His fascination didn't just stop. It was mainly like me, alligator snapping turtles, but he did have other species that he was interested in. Wait, so did he just, he kind of just added ponds as necessary, depending on how many turtles he had. And yeah, that was, a, that was a showpiece there. That was a big one. That's about a full acre, all dug and stone lined all the way from down about six feet into the water, all stone and mortar, right up to about a three or four foot wall around it that you could lean on and look over into the, and they'd be full of alligator snapping turtles. Eventually I brought all those back. How many? How many big turtles would you have in each pond? Like, like as far as like the big There was probably 10 over 100 pounds in that pond. And that pond, I said acre, I meant half acre. That was a half acre pond. That guy, you go back to that. There's interesting stories. And there again, Al, Al had a great heart. Picked him up hitchhiking when he was 14 years old. Said he didn't have any family. And he came back with the Redmonds and stayed the rest of his life. And uh, he he was, they picked him up in Illinois. He trapped clear up into Illinois, Al Redmond did. 
So when he was running a trap line is up in Illinois somewhere, this kid was helped him and helped him all the way back to Georgia. And then he lived in a camper out back for the next 30 years that I know of. He might be down there today. That's uh that's an interesting story. So he he was going all over the place and it, what do you know any indication of when he would take turtles? Was he looking for anything in particular or uh, at the time? I mean na- nowadays they're sort of separated in different genetic units and species. He obviously was I'm sure aware of the differences between them morphologically, but maybe not what was he looking for when he would take animals he was he was taking them all he was he was taking them all he was he was just trapping them to sell by the pound but he knew the differences in them too you're right um he was the one he started he always told me i can tell what river system a turtle came from by looking at it so therefore the guy knew there was different subspecies if you want to i guess we're going to divide them into subspecies we've just did um where do you think that might stop, Jap? How many divisions do you think we'll come up with? Uh, I know there's some research that should be published soon that'll answer pretty much answer that question. But uh, three, for at least if three full species, uh, maybe more than that. There might they might split up the western species more, uh, but I would be surprised if those different populations are held any sort of validity maybe just from the, the gen- genetic divergences so uh but morphologically it's very clear between the three major represented wow so, yeah it doesn't surprise me i can I, I get what he's talking about you can look at a turtle and tell where where it comes from i'm kind of at that point where if i see an adult alligator snapping turtle i have an idea of what river system it came from of course there's general like diagnostic features but you also get seeing so many you just they have a general look to them where you can't put your finger on the the features as much but you can see the turtle and be like yeah that one just it just like it comes from a certain river or uh very very like different to it there's and there's are a few but uh yeah yeah, that and, and he saw that, you know. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't take it far enough to say that it's a subspecies. Um, he just said they're different. I can tell. And mm-hmm. Crunch, he said, came out of Mississippi, uh, was actually purchased and trapped yeah. out of Mississippi. I don't know if he he didn't say that he looked like Mississippi, but he knew he knew where he came from. He had bought him out of a slaughterhouse in Mississippi, and chances are he was trapped in Mississippi. Maybe he wasn't, but and all we have now is pictures to go on. Yeah, this is me on one of my many visits. Oh, and thank God for rental cars. Um, in that picture, in one of those pictures, I'm putting a 150-pound a, a turtle in the back seat of that rental car. I, before I left, uh, I went and rented the car, came home and took the back seat out of it, and then you could lift the door off of it. Uh, it had one bolt you could unbolt and take the whole door off to get that crate in the back. Yeah, look at all them tanks in the background. So there I am on a buying spree. And I was that, turtle poor. Like there's a couple, I saw you cycling through some photos. There's one where there's, he's pulling a huge alligator snapper out of a box. Is that crunch that he's pulling yeah, out? That's, uh, 
165 became crunch. Yeah, that's what it looks like. He's yeah, going he in. He looks what? Yeah, he went. I still have that he box. That that's, uh, and that's him uh, getting moved. Yeah. And there's a story behind that, too. We had went down. I guess there's other pictures. If we go, uh, there's a van and I think never stop moving, you know, that picture. Yeah, I'll I'll be cycling okay. through them, but yeah, yeah, I what yeah, what's the story behind got how you acquired Crunch and sort of that that so, so in some of these, that's just food. There, we'll get back out of that. Um, there's well, Crunch. That's Crunch. That's two years before I could get him. Um, I went down there to get turtles in March. And I took a van load of us. That was us in a rental van. That's me. Um, probably getting off work, getting in the van to head to head to South Georgia. I think I did a four-day turnaround. We got snow here, and it was nice down there. Uh, we hopped in a rental van, four of us, switched off all the driving. We drive 18 hours down there, and we brought back a whole bunch of turtles. And we moved all of the turtles out of that pond for Al. And we bought, I bought all of them except Crunch. That turtle would never be sold, he said. That was 165 pounds. It's the biggest he had seen in 30 years or something. And he will never sell that one. So we helped him move it out of that pond. And, and we're putting it up that wall. It's some of the most, that was some stupid stuff we were doing there. Um, we're down in the pond. That's a crate full of turtles or will be it was heading heading down um we had to he wanted that turtle up there back legs first of course and we're down there six feet down this stone wall trying to hand it up to him i remember hearing watch that head like a thousand times they were yelling that that I, we had to push him up that direction up that wall to them guys and Another thing that's neat in that picture, you can see that nine millimeter hanging on his side. I mean, <laughs> we always felt safe. Al was protecting us. So that was crunch. That's a good shot. Went there. I am out there prodding around looking for more up under because there was dirt uh, in one end of this pond. It was all cemented in, but not the bottom, and the sides were all stone. But there was an egg laying area at one end, all within the compound of those rocks uh, he had grown trees and all uh, the females could come out and lay their eggs and still be captive in that pond so he wouldn't sell two years later um, i called him and again timing was right and i bought al's last biggest turtle and you can really pick up on in some of those pictures when i had al pick him up and i think i had him put him in the crate maybe get him close to it there i am with the mustache and the hair and no gray that's probably 38 years ago that's that's quite a pond too isn't that neat looking yeah that's uh that that seems like it would have taken quite the uh effort to to cement all that in and find the yeah. rocks and everything yeah that's uh so crunch once you acquired him he also became somewhat of a celebrity as i understand it and was uh made some trips around the, the country. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about that and 
all the different encounters you had doing that work and, and, and uh, what you were doing there. So we brought Crunch back to Cherubusco and had him for several years. And um, Marilyn, my wife, said uh, you should – she wanted me to sell one of my large turtles and just to sell him. Why do you need him? And I said, because I I got to have him. <laughs> you know, and she's, I said, it's a backup. She goes, a backup for what? And I said, oh, I don't know. If I ever started doing those shows, I should have a backup large turtle. And she goes, what shows? And I said, some sports show promoter called once. And uh, this that's a funny story there. Um, and that's that's showing the crowd. Um, that'll be good to come back to. But um, I said a sports show promoter had called once and wanted me to do a sports show. And she goes, well, why aren't you doing it? And I said, well, I, you'd have to you know, you'd have to have a large aquarium that you could move. You need to, you can't transport that much water. So you would have to make the water when you get there and it would have to match his temperature and you'd have to carry it all in a heated air conditioned enclosed trailer. And you can't air condition a trailer unless it's got a generator. And she said, well, it sounds like you have it planned out already. So $180,000 in equipment later, um, I am getting a hold of, uh, getting a hold of the promoters and I end up selling a show in Iowa and we put all the equipment together and did our first show in uh, at the Unidome. The Unidome in Iowa was my very first show. Uh, it was a sports vacation and boat show. I have a 700 gallon mobile aquarium custom made. I'm a fabricator so I built the stand. It was on its own 12 inch casters and this uh the aquarium was acrylic so it was five foot by six foot three feet deep and you would get uh pull it up in with a car winch that was built in the floor of the trailer I had the trailer custom made it's heated air conditioned has a generator has a sleeping quarters in it basically a, a twin bed up on top of the generator box you know and um my wife and i would stay in there and the dog and travel and uh, we would contract to sports vacation boat shows, and I marketed him by crunch. You didn't just want a large alligator snapping turtle. You wanted crunch, the large alligator snapping turtle. It's crunch, the alligator snapping turtle. There is no other. Um, and realistically, you know, at that time, I didn't know of one any bigger anywhere in the world. So I would bill it as the one of the largest left alive in the world or one of the largest known left alive in the world. Give some wiggle room there. And we would provide an advertising package to the promoter that contracted us so that they had digital imagery and different banners. And uh, they would draw up ads and we would be, you know, driving into a city and see billboards with crunch on it. It's crunch time. Um, it would be crunch time at whatever you're doing, it's crunch time. And when it's crunch time, show them something they've never seen before. And I really was, uh, you know, my goal was to teach people about alligator snapping turtles. And I looked at this at that time as probably the most effective way to raise awareness that they even exist. And you would go to a sports show and in Iowa, you know, not not so far north, and people didn't even know that they existed. And this was 25 years ago, not all that long ago, that that a large part of the 
population really doesn't know much about them, that they exist and that they look like this. And I had a uh, educational boards built with the different attributes and features of the alligator snapping turtle along with their range map made and would put up an easel display and some banners and set up an exhibit and put on the wireless headset and tell people the same five questions that they ask about what they're looking at for sometimes 12 hour days. Uh, some of these sports shows would be five 12 hour days so when we got there, we would wheel the aquarium uh, with an electric winch out of the uh, trailer, pull the truck and trailer, a one-ton dually, uh, into the exhibit hall, unload the aquarium, um, 13,000 pounds of equipment, support equipment, uh, water softener that would produce 700 gallons of water without being back flushed, uh, brine tank, you know, pumps, hoses, the show equipment, the banners, the stands, the the stands to rope off the area so people can't bang on the aquarium, the filtration system, uh, stock tank that I would carry of equal size to the aquarium. So I carried a 700 gallon enclosed tank and I would draw the water through a carbon canister, a six foot high uh, carbon canister and through the softener and produce 700 gallons of softened clean water and then put together a 160,000 BTU propane fired spa furnace two 100 gallon bottles of propane and warm the water up to match his temperature, which usually was around 72 degrees during transport. That way you're not shocking him. <clears throat> he would be in the aquarium in a smaller container um, with just enough water to keep his eyes submerged. I had a camera in there wired to the dash of the truck so I could see what he was doing. And I had learned that if he had just enough water to keep his eyes submerged, he doesn't slosh and he's content. If you pumped out the water below his eyes, he started looking for water. So then I had also a, a quick connect system and a TFU, I call it. Everything had to have a name. Turtle flooding unit. And I had a holding tank in the trailer that held enough water to submerge him in that tub at night when we stopped. So that he would have a full two feet of water on him when we stopped at night that was also filtered. So when we would stop at night, um, I would... Uh, reverse the I would reverse the flow of that pump and fill him up inside that tub so that he was submerged and uh, we always we, we didn't pick him up I used electric hoist I have overhead trolleys in the turtle building uh, for handling them and I would put that tub down in his habitat and slide him into it and roll it under him and then pump the water out of that tub and it has lifting straps built on it. I still have that strap, that tub. And then we would lift him up out of his habitat. Well, he would be floating in that tub at that point and then pick it up with a trolley, uh, with the hoist and move it over to a trolley and wheel it over to the loading dock or the loading bay where we would lift him up and, uh, and then roll the aquarium under him and let him down into it with no water. And there's 500 pounds or something like that of pea gravel in that aquarium but really no organics because we were traveling and we would do uh, five weeks worth of shows every year. And that was it, that we didn't want to travel too much with him. And then I leased him or would loan him to a different zoo each summer. And I would loan them the entire system and filtration system, water prep system. And I wrote a care manual. And then there were care logs that they would have to submit to me on a weekly basis taking temperature readings twice a day and activity monitors and, uh, you know, write down what you saw him doing and had uh, time day and night cycles to try to mimic, uh, you know, a relaxing life. 
while he was on display. And we, we leased him to 10 different zoos in 10 years. So we did 10 years worth of shows. Uh, some of these shows, there would, it would be, there was some 10 day shows and you would literally be face to face with a hundred or 200,000 people uh, telling them about alligator snapping turtles. What I loved about doing the shows in the beginning is later what I didn't like, which was dealing with 250,000 people in 10 days. Uh, it, it got to be tough to look people in the eye and be genuine and to be enthused to answer the same five questions. Right, right. Yeah. So how many over the course of, I mean, roughly how much time were you doing this for and uh, how many states did you visit with them and, and miles covered? I mean, this, this was... Uh, quarter of a million miles. Um, I sold the truck here in, in COVID and we did a, a 250,000 miles on that truck that had no miles when I got it. So we did a quarter of a million miles. There's no way to count the amount of people and 34 different states. So I set up and displayed crunch and talked about crunch in 34 different states in a 10-year period. I, I remember telling my wife when we first started doing it, when we started doing this, uh, she's the one that provoked me. I have to go do this now. Uh, we've invested. We're going to do it 10 years. We're not, you know, we're going to do it no less than 10 years. I think the first year I thought I might do this for a living. After the first show, I said, I'm not doing this for a living. <laughs> and, and I think Six years down the road, my wife quit going with me. Well, we have a farm and we have cattle and, you know, we have the dogs and uh, she just didn't want to travel. And she's not as much of a people person as I am. And it was even hard to maintain being a people person in front of that many people. Uh, and, and they were the people were pleasant. The people were it was me to talk for 12 hours and to tell them what he eats, how old he is. How do I know he's that old and where they live? And I think that's about it. And then, and, and I did a, uh, to utilize uh, a smaller amount of space, I did a, something that was really sellable to the promoters is I do this around the clock. Every hour you're open. Now that's, a, stay there for a second. Um, this show was in Raleigh, North Carolina. At a, and I did other things, not just sports vacation in Bozier. Jack went to sleep. There he is. It's the, um, my connection is bad. It keeps kicking me out. Oh, well, you're, you're looking good again. This was the state or the Raleigh, North Carolina, the State Museum of Natural History. So we did a lot of things like that too. I did a children's museums. We did zoos. Um, museums of natural history were pretty popular. And some of this, I was feeling my way along as I went over the years to like zoos that would want him for the summer. I didn't know that that existed and it came out of the woodwork. And the next thing you know, we're soliciting to zoos. And the next thing you know, we're landing one every year. And, and the same with museums of natural history. This is not, I think they called me once and they said, yeah, well, then I start mailing to them. Next thing you know, I'm doing museums of natural history, which I enjoyed. Now this one, was Raleigh. It was called, it was a free day at the State Museum of Natural History. It was a reptile and amphibian day. And I was in Denver when this guy called. And this is pre-cell phone for me too. 
I did no no cell phone. Um, somehow I get a message. I, I must have been an email. I checked it back at the hotel at night or something. And he wants me to do a show in Raleigh, a one day show. Um, long story short, I stopped in Kansas and faxed him the contract and he signed it and sent it back to a Kinko's that I was at. And we negotiated this deal while I drove nonstop from closing the show on Sunday night at six o'clock, folding it up for nine hours, sleeping two hours and had just enough time to drive nonstop to Raleigh, North Carolina, set up another show and do a one day show where 18,000 people came through my table. We sold T-shirts like never before. I spent the next 10 years trying to sell that the, the same amount that we sold at one show. And my wife's standing there with 102 fever. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah we is... were stressed to the max. We'd been on the road for four weeks and I just drove us 25 hours nonstop and set up again. Yeah. Yeah, the, the dedication behind that's incredible, and just to to do that for as long as 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 you did. I mean, reaching all these different people, and it's it's like you said, you can't quantify what kind of impact there was, but it it what you can say for sure is it was huge, and a lot of those people that was probably a life changing experience. And um, I'm sure you met a lot of interesting people along the way. I mean, are there any uh, stories that kind of stand out with uh, interesting that people that that uh, that you came across? You were telling us a, a little bit before the show even about some of the folks, but. Uh... Dennis Rodman, he, he sticks in my mind. There was uh, I bumped into him and uh, we talked turtles and then. Uh, there's a the bass fisherman i forget his name he was on the bachelor and our paths crossed and i'm trying to think of oh there's others you know like like um back in the day um michael jackson's camp came here um to try to buy crunch uh, when he was first putting together was it neverland and uh you know, it's not for sale. That was another thing. There were people as you know, Slash tried to buy Crunch and people have tried to buy Crunch that had the money. He was not for sale. And I, I just had that conversation with Bill Martinson about Snappy. That's another turtle out there that's getting millions of views and stuff. And the people, there's some right there. Um, we met, we, our paths crossed. That's Pamela. And I may not be pronouncing this right. Um, she kept her maiden name, but the Rosary Zappe family, fourth generations of circus people. And they were at a show. We bonded like family. Um, and we end up playing with chimps for a couple days. You know, we're in the motorhome right there playing with little Ricky. And my wife just had the time of her life. Now, when are you going to have an opportunity to hold and hug and play with? He's wearing a Blackwater hat. I never even... Never even really thought about that before, Ricky. And uh, we we bonded with those people, and they've invited us to come down to their compound down in Florida, and we've never taken advantage of that offer. Uh, super nice people. have They have raised chimps their entire life, raised them and trained them, and uh, interesting people. Her Her... Her sister is into cats. She has trained 
lion shows and stuff and all that stuff has pretty well been pulled from all circuses i mean maybe all circuses now so they do their own private thing down in florida and they they do a show once a week or something at their compound but they're getting older now and they probably um it was, it was kind of bittersweet you know you get older and it was dying out anyway and the the desire for people to watch that stuff in circuses is gone and uh, so they hole off back to their own place. But yeah, that was a, a neat moment. That was in Kentucky. This is in Louisville, Kentucky. And our paths crossed at a show and animal people come together. And she had a, she had a box turtle in that motor home. If I remember right, good times with them spent two days hanging out with them in their motor home. And that's uh, the, the the Raleigh thing. That just shows the impact you had. Now, and, and you had mentioned that earlier. I kept in mind the whole time we're doing this, I'm trying to teach these people about these things. But you would see 100,000 people and there would be one kid come up to you and he's holding the Audubon Society field. I remember this kid. That's why I'm saying. But there were others like that. Audubon Society's field guys to reptiles and amphibians. He's got it with him. He's at a boat show. He's got this with him. He's 10 years old and he's got the page marked to alligator snapping turtles, you know, and he comes up to me and starts firing off these excellent questions that are finally, I'm not saying the same five things, you know, and you know that you had an impact on that kid and he's going to leave there and uh, never be the same. Oh, and another night. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, that's that's a neat story. I'm doing a show in Davenport, Iowa, and uh, I pack up and I leave. And I I got three days to go like 100 miles, right? And so I swing into a guy that I had been told, you need to meet this guy. And his name's Chad Pergracki. Chad Pergracki owns or operates the nonprofit Land and Living Waters. And they pick up trash in the Mississippi. And 15 years ago, they had picked up like 2 million tons of trash out of the Mississippi. They have barges, shuttle boats. Um, they've National Geographic wrote a book about him. He has about 20 people that are at his side all the time. Young, hipster, uh, skateboarder. And he's been just him against that beer can is how, is how it started. And then he started cleaning up the Mississippi and for his whole life. Now they float a big housing barge and shuttle boats and a garbage barge with cranes and bobcats on it. And they organize litter picking up events and they work the Mississippi from as far up as you can go with barges clear to the ocean um, annually organizing trash pickup events. A, a monumental thing that they've done and they have a headquarters that was somewhere in my route. I think it's Moline, Iowa. And I swing in to there with my truck and trailer, my generators running. And I got his book with me and I said, uh, somebody comes up to me that was uh, walking to their truck and he said, you got a delivery. And I said, no, I have a 165 pound alligator snapping turtle in my trailer. And I just did a show in Iowa and I wanted to see if I could meet Chad. And he says, man, you're lucky he's here. And this dude's been out to the White House. Bush gave him an award. And um, it, there's a book written about him by National Geographic. And uh, me and Chad, we hit it off. And he says, dude, stay here plug in that motorhome or plug in that trailer and stay in our apartment. 
And the next thing you know, I'm I'm spending two days at Chad's. I'm laying under a boat trailer welding now because they're in there building things and that. And I end up involved, you know. And he says, some friends of mine sold a show. Um, and it's that's premiere is tonight. And it was in a theater at the River Center. So I just left the River Center. And he said, well, I'll pick you up at nine, uh, maybe seven o'clock. It airs at nine. And the, the premiere show was, and he goes, when we get there, I'm going to be working the crowd because there's a bunch of people here from Nat Geo and a bunch of people here from the History Channel. And he's got he's got a show he's done on both of those venues uh, himself. And he says, so if, if stick with me, I might lose you. And uh, we walk into the theater and a whole bunch of people at the bar turn around and said, hey, Rusty. And uh, Chad goes, you already know all my people because all these people had come into town early and went ahead and came down to the boat show to see this giant turtle, the crunch, the giant turtle. And I had met these people from Nat Geo and History Channel and didn't know it. But the uh, the bottom line to this is that the premier event was the, the American Pickers. It was their very first episode. And uh, I ended up hanging out with them for the night because Chad knows them. They're friends. Um, they're all in there together. Right. And uh, so I'm sitting out there in the audience watching the show. And the next thing you know, I'm hanging out with Mike and Frank and Chad. And it was quite the night, you know, they were nobody at that point. And I watched that show and I said, this is going to be good. And man, how long has that been on now? The American Pickers has been airing for maybe 15 years. So there's a group of cronies there. there we set up that tent at Turtle Town and did a, a show and uh, we'd spend a week setting up. I mean, look at that 50 by 50 tent. I'd have landscapers come in and deck it out with live plants and trees. And, and then I had a walkthrough uh, display of the town legend and about alligator snapping turtles. And then there would be the tanks of alligator snapping turtles. I set up a, a 220 gallon aquarium even in there just for a four day show. We'd carry were, it in. Were all these, uh, the people, were they on, were, was this a crew or just a, whoever wanted to come for just that time? Whoever, it was kind of like uh, move to preserve. Yep. It was people that they, first of all, none of us were paid. Um, there's the grill. So they were paid with hamburgers. It looks like it was about 150 <laughs> degrees. There's a fan there in the front and there was kids. Uh, oh man. There's two little girls down there in the left and I'm still in contact. Well, uh, garden like Vikings in there. He's, he's right there in the center somewhere. He's one of them. <laughs> yeah, there he is. See that little redhead? Yeah, right here. Yeah. Right. So these were people, these, this group, all them men were basically living with me. So I provided a house. Um, you all get to live here. And we all get to do this cool thing. And they weren't turtle people. They were they needed lead, I guess, you know, they, they wanted to be part of something. I gave them, I ended up creating something that we could all be part of. And it was be turtle. They're all wearing them shirts. See, and on the back of those shirts, it says staff. Well, you don't get one of them on there unless you do some work. So uh, we all became staff and we all worked at showing the community there's inside. So this is this show for is inside it. Oh, this is in the Boy Scout building. We did that one year, too. So this is a separate year. But um, it, it's the style of show that I set up for the town. And because it's Turtle Town and they have Turtle Days Festival, 
I did a show for the town and I charged $1 per head to get in. Kids six and under per year or something, you know, and then uh, landscaper did all this for advertising and we would put banners out and, and I would run ads in the paper uh, promoting the sponsors that had helped. And, and, that, that, and there's easels. You can see the easels in there that would that had the backsides of them uh, that had the town legend, the 1949. I ran an ad in a local paper to find old photos. And then I scanned the old photos from 1949, the hunt for the turtle. And then I had them blown up and captioned and put on photo boards to display to the town, their town legend. And, and what was, I remember reading a while back, uh, I think it was actually a paper, a newspaper that came out of the Chirabusco Times or something adjacent to that. But what was the, uh, I mean, it, it seems unlikely that that was actually an alligator snapping turtle, but what was the actual conclusion of that story? Just kind of a tall tale or? It, well, no, they, they try to get me to commit to something all the time in interviews, right? And um, there was a picture in my photo display of the guy, uh, there I am changing lights and we're taking over. Um, there, the guy that first came to town and said he saw a turtle with a head this big and he's holding his hands out. And I blew up that picture and put it right next to my turtle. My turtle's head is that big. So if he, this is day two of the legend, then the legend grew. It's as big, then they're using weird, uh, divisions of they're using weird instruments to measure him with but as big as a car hood as big as a dining room table well i'm not familiar with that i know metric and i know imperial but i don't know dining room tables how many of those are in a yard or um and car hoods you know so the the, the story changes over the years and grows and grows and grows i mean at one point there's even an article out there saying that he scampered up on the bank and ate a cow at one point, you know, and Whoa. these are art, these are newspaper articles, man. This gotta be true, right? Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the guy that crawled out from under the house that was pulling wires, and they said, Mr. Wilson, can you tell us how big his head was? He stuck his hands out. It was day two, it hadn't grown much yet. So my point always was if he saw a turtle, it's and its head was that big. It had to be an alligator snapping turtle that was like 200 miles north of its natural range in a landlocked pond that's kind of bottomless. It, it's remotely possible, but more than likely, did it, how far is this guy that owned the pond then the next day after he the, this other guy says he saw it, the next day the owner says he saw it. And he spent three years of his life trying to prove that that turtle was in there and the town just got stampeded. They blocked traffic up for 15 miles leading into this town. Celebrities and stars of that era were coming here to be seen next to this pond that was about like it was a seven acre muck bottom lake. Eventually, he tried to pump the pond dry. If you never saw that turtle, would you try to pump the pond dry? Or are you so caught up in your own story that you believe it yourself? He lost his farm. Um, while the pumps were running, he got it down to two acres. You can't pump the, a road caved in. I mean, this is a muck bottom, bottomless lake, you know, in Indiana here. 
and uh, he got it down to two acres. He had an appendicitis. He ends up in the hospital. While he's in the hospital, nobody's manning the pumps, which shows me the hundreds of people that have been by his side for two years were gone. Nobody was there. Nobody was helping him man the pumps. He's alone, still obsessed with, I saw the turtle. And the pond filled back up and he lost it. It went into foreclosure and they lost the farm. So how far does a guy go? Or does he believe it? You, you know, no one will know. No one yeah, will know. It's tough to say, right, at this point. It's uh, right. definitely an interesting case, though. I guess the listeners just have to – I mean, yeah, just everyone's got to make their own conclusion. Uh, it's uh, interesting. So, I remember trying to piece it together. I think that – There could have been a translated turtle. So. Okay. And then do okay i got story i got a story on that i got a theory on that i got i got a theory on that al redmond only had a couple of pictures of his grandfather one of them was his grandfather putting an alligator snapping turtle in a gunny sack in front of a horse-drawn wagon covered in pots and pans and things a traveling salesman the traveling salesman would stop by his grandfather's, put alligator snapping turtles or common snappers in gunny sacks and keep them in his wagon as a source of fresh meat whenever he wanted it. And they would last for months in those bags, just like they did with the Galapagos and ships. Yeah. And, and traveling salesmen did that. What if he grabbed some hatchlings too, or some eggs shot out in that in, in, the, in the bag, or, or he, he brought some. And he gave some kid a little hatchling and he said, is your mom home? Does she want to buy a pot or a pan or something? Mislocated. There's another theory. There's another story out there that kind of goes unreported with this. There in our area was, uh, I, I can't even think of the, several Indian tribes right around here, right? Well, probably all over. But um, one of them that was in this area was uh, a main tribal leader. His name was Chief Little Turtle. Okay. Chief Little Turtle caught, probably could be interpreted as a trader. I think he led a lot of the other Indian tribes to slaughter at a different trading post and stuff around here. But Little Turtle is actually buried in this area. Chief Little Turtle was an Indian. They said the, the Indian tribe, when they were trying to pump that pond dry, the, the Indian tribe, and I think it's Miami Indians, but I could be wrong, came forward and said, leave that turtle alone. We turned it loose in there as a ceremony for Chief Little Turtle. Possible. No no proof of any of that. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. To, yeah. <laughs> Fun to speculate. It, uh, but it's a good point with the, uh, yeah, even before cars. I mean, you had people going around and all, all modes of transportation could they have been taking young turtles with them or turtles for food that sort of thing and just dropped one off i mean any pond is subject to that the potential for a release yeah. at that point well that's uh yeah and there's a few more sort of photos in in the 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 this is chicago i guess and <laughs> This is just incredible. This might be. Yeah, those are good pictures of the aquarium. That's the great, uh, great Whitstock bought that aquarium. That's what Woody is in. That that actually is how, you know, there again, that's full circle. That's how I met Greg Whitstock. 
probably how I met Anthony Hobbs, kind of, because I got re-motivated. And there's there's a story behind all that too. Kind of how I met you. Kind of how I raised my online presence, which is kind of how I met Greg Turtlehaven, which is kind of how I met you, which is right. kind of how I ended up in South Arkansas. Um, because I uh, relocated that aquarium to Greg Whitstock. And we formed a relationship, which led to the speculation of a regional pond build event here at Blackwater Turtle Refuge during a time when I, if you heard my speech down there, I spent a year contemplating what I had been doing for 38 years, right? Yeah, there we are. I think uh, two different shows here. That was in Cincinnati. That's The Bachelor at one time. Brian Velvick, that's his name. And my wife had watched that series, and here he is. He comes up and says, hey, that's a big turtle, you know, and the next thing you know, we're talking and hanging out. Brian Velvick, he was – and look at that. She'll never forget that. No, it's a great uh, comparison of the size, too. You can really see – his head was 11 inches wide. That's uh, it, so. What, what was the, the I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Jack's Wi Fi is a little bit sketch. Jack cut out again. Yeah, he'll be back yeah. while, while, we're, while we're waiting for him. What so the remotivation story that that was pretty interesting. What what kind of brought about that? And and it, if you don't mind sharing, yeah, so so I. I'm getting better and not getting emotional when I talk about crunch when he died. I took care of him for 30, 38 years and my life pivoted around him. And for 10 years, it wasn't just about alligator snapping turtles. It was about crunch longer than that. And then we stopped doing the shows, which I'm really glad we did for nine years. And I went into just a private, uh, you know, uh, when I started the shows, that's that's how you took things to the world. You put it in a truck and trailer and you found a way to go to the world and you displayed to the world. You took it there. Um, then when I stopped doing the shows, I basically went into hiding. Um, the website was still running, so there was still that out there, but I was not involved in social media just started a Facebook page for family and me and, you know, and very little on there. Just, I, I don't even remember what I was putting on there. And, uh, and that was it, uh, a YouTube channel that had had one video on it for 12 years. And it was about crunch. It was to take my place at shows. Sometimes they would run that video and I thought, well, I'll dump, dump it on YouTube as well. I'd give it to them on a DVD and they'd run it on a loop at a zoo or something. And it told about, Crunch the alligator snappy turtle. And for nine years, I sat silent at home and just took care of my private collection. They're uh, indoors. Um, you know, I, I got a pretty neat system I've been building for 38 years. So it's pretty well refined and it's pretty nice. And I've had some outside help from different sponsors over the years. And I just enjoyed what I was doing. And then Crunch uh, got ill. Um, I assembled a team of doctors pretty much from all over the world. Uh, most three of them were here in the United States. And my local vet carried out the footwork for the, the doctors. And one of the biggest helps was, I think it's Keller, 
Uh, he's the lead veterinarian at the Tennessee Aquarium at the uh, swamp exhibit that they've bred alligator snapping turtles in that zoo. And they have an alligator snapping turtle population that they maintain. And this is the vet that uh, carried out um, the, the groundwork for them. So we would do phone conferences and they were given advice and we had pathology, uh, you know, sending biopsies and blood samples out. And we were treating, what he, what he got was a granuloma in his foot. I'm not sure what caused it. Uh, there's different speculation on what could have caused it, but his foot swelled up and there was granuloma infection in there that we cut open and removed out and actually started looking better for about three days. But while we were waiting on the pathology reports to come back, we were treating for one strain of bacterial infection. He had infection, his skin was sloughing off. Uh, it had went septic. And we were treating for one strain of bacteria. And when the pathology report uh, came back, there was one strain, an, another strain of bacteria in there that this antibiotic wouldn't address. So he, this vet sent me home with the syringes of the other antibiotic. And maybe if we would have, you know, when you look back, um, you maybe should have treated him with that up front, of course, but too many antibiotics aren't good either. And he died. And I uh, lost him on my watch. So I spent a year questioning whether anyone should have these, whether no matter what you're doing with them, you're using them for educational purposes. You, you're, you're trying to change the hearts of man, uh, questioning what I had been doing for 38 years. And I spent about a year and I guess I was in mourning over a turtle. And I think COVID hit and my wife said, you should sell the truck and trailer. Uh, that's not a good time. Turns out it was a very good time to sell it. Um, the truck and trailer sold like immediately. And then now I'm left with this giant mobile aquarium. I think I posted it on the group, Facebook group, said relocating our mobile exhibit. Some guy called and he said, my name's Greg Whitstock. And I said, okay. Uh, had never heard of him. Haven't been getting on YouTube. Haven't been surfing the web much at all, you know. And uh, bottom line is I relocate the equipment to him. And when I take it up there, I realize, wow, this is a big setup. This is He's got a neat thing going here. And I become introduced to the whole concept of the biological filtration system that, uh, as a side note, I've noticed the reptile and fish world has really gained massive over the past 10 years in biologically filtered things, you know, trying to work with nature, not against it. You used to think of canister filters and, and cartridges to filter out uh, my, so many microns of stuff. And now you're looking for the biological balance uh, more so in the past 10 years. And I think some of that came from, from Aquascape and their development of their wetlands filter and things. Uh, their biofalls filters. So I end up uh, finding out Greg is obsessed with turtles and we hit it off. And then I go to some pond builds and he's uh, offered, he offered to build, have a regional pond build event here at one point. And uh, we've been setting that up for two years and it's coming to pass now on uh, May 22nd, 23rd, 24th will be a regional pond build event here. So uh, I had a, it's a busy year for turtles here at Blackwater Turtle Refuge.
and it, and it got me out of my funk. It got me, I met these guys that are, are passionate about what they do. And, it, and he's also passionate about turtles, but they're passionate about being passionate. And there's nothing wrong with that. I needed that back. And it kind of kickstarted me in that direction. And then Greg said, you need to go to this pond build out at Garden State Tortoise. And I went out to, yeah, Greg came down. He did a vlog. He got in the tank the first time anybody's picked that turtle up like that in 30 years. And uh, I took his picture and, and uh, he's going to build, he's, you know, two years ago, he said he'd like to build a, a pond here, but he's not sure he would get enough content out of it. And I said, what's content? I seriously did not know what the word content meant yet. Just two years ago. Now my life pivots around content, but, uh, I got him some content. <laughs> we did the move to preserve. Uh, I raised my online presence and learned that I can show the world my alligator snapping turtles and what I'm doing right from here. And I can reach millions of people in moments rather than just 75,000 people in 10 days when I drove, you know, thousand miles to do it. So it stirred a new avenue up for me. And I'm working on filming grounds basically here to teach people about alligator snapping turtles digitally. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really uh, kind of moving to hear you get, I mean, as, as tough as, as it is to talk about that, I, I can't really imagine, but it's sort of moving to hear you, the emotion that comes out in that story. Uh, Cause I, I don't think there is anyone that's, I mean, nowadays with YouTube, yeah, that you can put out content, that sort of thing. But I don't think anyone's put the same amount of work that you put in just over the years into educating people about these animals. So it's, it's really, uh, I speak for all of us. I know that we're really uh, inspired by the work that you've done with that. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for seeing that. Um, didn't realize I was doing it. Life goes by. You just, if you embrace your passions and embrace your eccentricities and, and make no bones about it and go out there and just live every day, um, you should be able to turn around and say, Hey, I did that. Yeah. Well, as we sort of start to wrap up, uh, we've been going for a while here, but it's just, I mean, this is a, a really awesome conversation just uh could listen to stories from all this just for days <laughs> but uh we're sort of transitioning into now you're working on this some study looking at the that we kind of mentioned this earlier but maybe you can tell us a little bit about maybe preview the the growth and uh, the life and growth documentation you're doing and some of the stuff that that you're doing now that you're kind of getting into this youtube and the content sort of sector and and what people can expect coming up from Blackwater Turtle Refuge? Well, uh, one of the things I'm doing that I'm really excited about, and I started it a year ago, is I uh, laid out and drafted the Alligator Snapping Turtle Lifespan Development Study. I had to give it a name. It might be a bit long, but I don't think I'm going to change it at this point. So I'm, I'm a, a programmer and I look at code all day long. So it's natural for me to get uh, hung up on numbers and data. And uh, I laid out a very well-documented study and brought in 10 hatchlings 
from the South Arkansas Turtle Farm and everything about them, the, the key characteristics of growth are documented on uh, timed intervals that are laid out in the study with certified uh, instruments that were donated by uh, the PTS group and calibrated. And all of that is on record, you know, everything from the uh, calibration standards of the instruments and the intervals that they're calibrated to uh, verify their validity. And then all of the dimensions that I take in the key characteristics and all of the food that goes into them is weighed right down to the 10th of a gram and, ca and catalog. Temperatures are cataloged. Uh, of course, general observations, and they're kept as individuals, and each one's assigned a serial number because there's it's easier to call them the MC1 through 10 or whatever. Uh, and there's a, the, the naming convention is also documented in the study on how the naming convention works. There's also like a, a permits section that talks about how the permits are structured for this and for the study and for the maintenance of them here. And I, you know, if I do say so myself, I've done a pretty good job. I would love for me and you to look at this together sometime and go through the study and uh, the actual print of it, you know, and, and I might come down there to do that with you sometime. We'll look, we'll look through it, but um, that's what, that's what it is. And, and I try to replicate as much of the natural uh, environment that they would live in that you can. Um, eventually they'll be moved outdoors uh, right now, they don't need to be. They're small and they're not confined, you know, by the enclosures that they're kept in. I mean, they're not. Now, that was a different study I had launched 30 years ago. Uh, there were 20 hatchlings in individual containers. And back then there was no computer. This was all done on uh, on book work. And uh, most of those turtles were relocated to another person that carried out that study, and, but two of them stayed behind and I still have them to this day. So they're actually 20, 24 years old, I believe. Um, I'd have to look on the paperwork and I still have them. There. And one of the things I want to gain here is if I replicate as much of their natural diet, their natural brumation cycles picked to the me medium of their range, um, I'm going to go with uh, northern Arkansas and try to replicate. I watch the temperatures in those states and try to replicate the water temperatures and air temperatures and the cycles that are going through the weather patterns uh, as much as I can for this grouping of hatchlings and then feed them the variety of, of wild caught food that I would consider natural to their uh, consumption in the wild. And maybe we can nail down how long it takes them. It, it'll be beyond my life, but how long does it take to get a hundred pound turtle? Uh, we ought to see that, right? We, how, how many hatchlings have been kept in captivity and documented from a hatchling to a 50 pound turtle? Not very many. And with every gram of everything that's ever went into them, maybe none. Right. It's, it's, it's good to do for, yeah, a lot of reasons because no one, I mean, this is such a long-term thing that getting this kind of data is really lacking in, in any capacity. I know a lot of people would say, well, getting it in the wild might be more applicable to certain situations, but it's just really not been done anywhere. So why not? I mean, if we, if you really have to do it where you can, 
uh, and and it's going to be exciting to follow this uh, as stuff as it progresses and to see how sort of the different treatments you're using and 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 feeding regimes and that sort of thing influence how they grow and just even the uh, these are all turtles from from I think you mentioned but it's all one clutch correct it's no they're they're from a mix no that's not that's not true they're from a mix of clutches but they are from one genetic pool that i had uh another source in there but it had a higher mortality rate i mean with hatchlings you're always going to have a percentage of loss that's documented in this study as well and i've decided to stick with the uh with the one uh they're not from one clutch i made sure that they weren't but they are hatched at the same season Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. Well, just to see even the individual differences, if you can sort of track that, uh, who's related and, and differences in growth that could be genetically influenced or, um, that, that'll be interesting as well. Uh, there's right. a, lot, a lot of directions to take it, but yeah, I'm, I definitely am, am excited to, to look at it and, 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 and just follow it as, as it progresses. Cause this is a long-term project. Yeah. So, um, and, and with that being said, with that being said, uh, when I meet guys like you, I'm excited because I might have found the people that can take this over when I get too old and feeble, which is probably 30 years from now, but we don't know that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're, uh, I, I speak for everyone here for sure, but yeah, we're, we, uh, we, we will, this will always be our passion. So, uh, we'll be happy to to Jack. to see that. And I, I, Jack's having some connection issues, but uh, that that happens. But yeah, I, I'm I think I'm speaking for him right now too. <laughs> but actually, his connection looks good. Say something, Jack. Oh, he's getting mad. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you are. <laughs> Oh, well, we had him, we had him for a little bit, but we'll have to get that. We'll get that sorted for the next one. And, uh, he's starting to break up here, but, uh, yeah, we'll sort of wind things down. Uh, we like to keep it uh, under two hours or so, but this has been uh really an incredible discussion. I, I do want, we like to close with, uh, one or two quick questions. Um, just I, I'm sort of curious if you had one thing that you think people should know about the alligator snapping turtle, uh, what would that be? And then maybe as a second, maybe add on to that kind of it's sort of a different question. But for someone looking to make turtles a career, part of a career, well, make that career on alligator snapping turtles because they're awesome. Right. But the thing right. about alligator snapping turtles being these giant. Uh, when they're large, they have no natural enemies but man, and man is still their enemy. I mean, we can pass all the laws there are, you know, all the laws and protection levels, but they're still being hunted and taken from the wild. And that saddens me that they still are willing to kill and eat something that took 100 years to get that big. I'm I'm no I'm no vegetarian, but I can raise a chicken in eight weeks. 
or I feed a cow. I mean, we raise our own meat here. We raise our own cattle uh, two years, but a hundred year old animal. Uh, it, it's shocking to me that they are raising them even in some other countries. They're raising alligator snapping turtles to eat. And they're willing to make a 30 to 40 year investment into a meal. And that just shocks me. So people should know that. I wish that could stop. Right. Yeah, I think that is sort of the ultimate message that a lot of and conservation minded people try to get out is uh, we need to think about the long term health of the population of these animals and respect them for what they are and uh, the habitat that they 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 should have uh, and, and to coexist with us as humans. Um, I think that, yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Uh, we also do <laughs> sort of, uh, we do a little trivia, turtle trivia at the end. We always like to do this. Uh, we've done it with probably 40 guests at this point. So I don't know, Rusty, if you've got, we're getting kind of up on time here, but if you've got a few questions you want to toss at me and Ken, uh, and just maybe alligator snapping turtle trivia, test our knowledge a little here. Wow. You're putting me on the spot there. Um, but I got one thing. I, I, I thought of this earlier, and I could even be a little wrong on this. So if you give the wrong answer, you could probably argue with me on it. And, and I don't have – I'm not going to do well at setting up a trivia question for you. Jack's getting back, so we'll give him a second. Look how mad he's getting, man. He's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you wanted to be part of this. And, okay. Um what All right, I'm the, back. What's going on? What, here it is. I got to hurry or you'll be cutting out. Trivia. And I only yeah. got one thing, I think, unless I can think of another one. But in Peter Pritchard's book, uh, Alligator Snapping Turtle Biology and Conservation, and I forget what year it is, who gave him the grant for that? Oh, he's going he's gonna to be able to read it. I'm trying to think. I mean, hmm. yeah, that's a good question. Uh it's got to be, hmm. yeah, that's a, because it probably, it'd probably be something fairly large, like federal, something at that level. Uh, maybe some sort of NGO too, that could be. World, World Wildlife Federation. Okay. 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 Here's one more. Here's one more. What in that book, in that book. Um, because I've used this for years, what unofficial world record weight was written in that book, which actually was claimed to have been caught by Al Redman, and it was accepted as an unofficial world record weight. Jack's got this one. What was that weight? I don't know what he said. 300? 316 pounds. <laughs> You're right. I think he's yeah. right. He's, that's what, that he what said. you said. Yeah. 316. Yeah. That's what I said. 316. Yep. Yeah. He won. He wins. He I'll mail you a shirt. Yeah. My connection is so bad. I'm, yeah, um, but I heard I'm you. Losing. Now, what is the official world record weight? And I'm asking that. I don't have the answer to that. What is the official certified scale world record weight of the alligator snapping turtle? 
Yeah, any. Well, yeah, wild. Yeah. Something like two. How about that female you uh, picked up, dude? It's insane. That might be a world record. There was a couple of them. Yeah, and they weren't really overweight. I mean, no. You had an eighty pounder. I think we have shell measurements for them. Eighty-three. What was the world record? Isn't that a world record? Greg? Uh, there's, uh, but not really anything bigger than that. Greg, Greg Bershear for a while, but Greg Bershear was telling me that the Tennessee Aquarium has one, a female that's 90 pounds, but it's so close that that could fluctuate to be within about the range of the ones we were pulling out, but they were, I mean, top end of the size for females for sure. Uh, what's the world captive what, turtles? What's the world record? Uh, what was the world record in Pritchard's book? Female, I think it was like 60 pounds, wasn't it? Like, uh oh, 64. I think it was okay. 64, and it was, a, it was a female. Redmond actually had this. There's a picture of Redmond with the shell of it, or that's female, had like uh. Eggs in it. It was from Coochie River or something. Uh, but mm. that's the one. Yeah, you know he he that's autographed mine right there on that picture. Oh wow, Redmond. Yeah, that's I awesome. never got to meet Pritchard. I never did get to. I talked to him on the phone once, and that's a funny story. <laughs> um, Oh yeah, I, hear that. I I work for a com- I work for a company. Um, the comp the owner of my company has a son. Uh, the son has a wife. Her sister was living with Peter Pritchard's son. I'm here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, I was eating a dinner with them, and she says, "Yeah, my sister used to live with some turtle thing down in Florida," and she goes, "Yeah, Peter Pritchard's son." And I said, "You used to live with Peter Pritchard's son?" And she gave me the phone number, and I called Peter Pritchard to talk to him. Um, that's how I got in. I never got to meet him. <laughs> that's a uh, small world, I guess. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, we're a long ways apart here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a coincidence. Huh. Yeah. Well, I I think uh, now's about the time just to wrap things up. But I, I think, like, obviously it's apparent now that we're going to have to have you back on with maybe some of the other moves to preserve crew people and uh, talk even more about that event or just – I mean, I think I, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. That's just I'm, I'm getting that it. feeling. Yeah. But uh, it was a good it was a great start. And uh, it was really it was really a, a, an honor and pleasure to have you on, Rusty, and to hear about. I mean, it's really inspiring for us, uh, for me and everyone else can say their piece. But uh, I it was just it's incredible the amount of work that you put in uh, to really do a really selfless thing like broadcast these animals to so many people and yeah it's uh it, it's pretty moving and uh even kind of emotional for for me to think about that and just yeah it's uh thank you for all the stuff you've done oh thank you i'm so glad i met you guys this is a good circle 
Uh, but yeah, so we we'll start to kind of close out. <laughs> it's always kind of awkward at the end, but uh, R- Rusty, where can everyone find find your work and the Blackwater Turtle Refuge work and and your YouTube and everything? Just for listeners out there. Well, right now, mostly I'm working on my YouTube. Um, that would be Rusty Reed, the Turtle Man, and that's where I'm gonna uh, moving forward. I, I have so many irons in the fire right now that that sounds like an excuse. But you guys, uh, well, you're busy too. Um, but like I said, uh, when I came back from move to preserve, I've worked 10 hour days every day of the week since for three weeks. Um, that's Saturdays and Sundays and everything. Plus, on top of that, I'm getting ready for the regional pond build. So one of the things that I'm committed to, to airing more on is the study and following the study on YouTube at Rusty Reed the Turtle Man. So I would say the best place to find out everything I'm doing is still going to be, even though I've been a little slack here lately with the move to preserve and all these irons in the fire, Rusty Reed, the turtle man on YouTube. Sweet. All right. That's uh, we'll wrap it up for this time, but we'll definitely uh, we'll do another one for sure sometime down the line and, and get some more people involved and uh even more stories but thank you uh for coming on and uh it was great oh thanks guys i look forward to another time um we'll be in touch it was amazing all right thank you thanks guys i mean it all right cool this is colony cast episode 34 you can find us at the turtleroom.org slash colonia cast we've got the Colonia Cast Student Research Fund up there uh, for anyone out there that that has gone the the distance to listen to the whole thing today. Uh, consider a donation of any amount; it helps, and we're, we're all proceeds go back to student-led research project on turtles. Uh, so that's it for today, and we'll see you next time.